Today on Cincinnati Business Talk Radio, we're going to be listening to an interview with Uta Popke, who is a consultant and German translator, and Uta is the president of the Munich Cincinnati Sister City Association. She served as president twice, first in 1995, and now she has just been re-elected as president. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with with the Popke, who is currently the president of the uh, Munich Sister City Association with Cincinnati. Thanks for joining me today, Uta. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good. And Uta has agreed to take questions from you, our listeners. Uh, so if you're listening today on the 12th of February at 4 o'clock, uh, you can call in on our standard call-in number. 646-595-4916. We'll be able to take questions during the commercial breaks. Uh, let me tell our listeners a couple of things about uh, what's coming up here in Sandler next week, say uh, a big week. Uh, on Wednesday uh, from 11.30 to 2 p.m., we have a business leaders workshop, and the title of that one is What to Look for in a Salesperson. Probably the most common problem that sales management uh, wants me to solve is, do I have the right salespeople on the team? Who do I keep? Who do I look for? How do I improve the talent? Well, if we start with good talent, we we get a much faster cure. Uh, and on Thursday from 8 to 10, we have a workshop that uh, I'll invite our listeners to. All you have to do is call in to... Uh, 513-753-9400, extension 2, ask Kay for a free guest pass, and that program is called Why Have a System. Uh, that's a extremely important uh, Sandler program on the uh, 18th, and if you can't make the 18th from 8 to 10, uh, Thursday the 25th, it will be a very similar program. Uh the next thing I, I'll remind our Sandler clients about is the cut and paste uh, program, which is a goal setting program for 2016. That's going to be on Tuesday, March 1st from uh, 8 to 10 a.m. Uh, bring your favorite magazines. It still gets paper magazines. Uh, and the following week is a special week. That is the Sandler Client Summit 2016. 
It's called Elevate Your Performance. It will be in Orlando, Florida. There's still some seats available. There will be about 1,000 clients with us at the Rosin Inn uh, in Orlando. Uh, This is the fourth client summit uh, that Sandler has put on. Uh, There is a fee associated with it. If you uh, contact us, we will get you the best client rate for that before it sold out. Uh, Last year's conference was sold out. It was a a great show. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about you. Let me tell tell our audience a little bit about your background, okay? Yes, thank you. Uh, Ruta is a successful business professional. She migrated to the U.S. with her parents in 1957, and she's now retired. She's run her own company. It was called CMI Consulting for more than 30 years. She's dedicated her life and resources to humanitarian and educational endeavors. She is a trained, certified interpreter in German, Spanish, French, and she's done economic development seminars in Frankfurt, Munich, as well as Cincinnati. Uta was born and raised in Germany, graduated from high school in South Bend, Indiana, and attended Kalamazoo College in Michigan. Uh, Uta Popke founded the Munich Sister City, Munich Cincinnati Sister City Association in 1989 uh, and served as president for two terms in 95, 1995 to 1999, and she was just reelected to, to be president. Uh, Uta and I met when she joined the Rotary Club in 1997. Uh, she served on the, as the president of the Rotary Club from 2008 to 2009, and she served as district governor of Rotary 6670 uh, from 2011 to 2012. Uh, she's joined the Pace Universal Board in 2012. Uta uh, is married to Hans Popke for 52 years. They have three daughters, four grandchildren, five grand dogs. Oh, boy. Grandchildren are tough enough. Uta uh, and Hans live uh, on the west side of Cincinnati. Uh, Uta has done a number of translations of books, legal documents. She's worked for Ethicon on papers uh, for the acquisition of a German company, machine installation. She's worked for R.A. Jones. She's done uh, financial statements for Baldwin Piano, translations for Forrest Brown Todd, uh, the opera company. Uh, you know, I was watching TV one day, one day a, a show on uh, WKRC, and uh, was obviously translated from German, and there's your name as the translator in the closing credits. It was uh, it was quite surprising. Uh, he also worked with the uh, CEO of the World Choir Games. Uh, that's that's it. Titch is the owner, and he brought the you you and he brought the choir games to Cincinnati a few years ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got an opportunity to work with three former mayors. One, they were Mayor Charlie Lucan, Roxanne Qualls, and Mark Mallory. Plus, uh, of course, the current one, John Cranley. He well, went with us to Munich in 2014. Ah, uh, yes. We're, we're going to talk about the, uh, the photograph of the mayors, including Cranley and you, in a few minutes. Okay. Uh, uh, it, it, one of the most interesting ones is you worked with former German Chancellor 
Willie Brandt. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Um, he was here to give a speech, I believe, at the, um, oh, it was a club um, before the Metropolitan Club really became an entity, Bankers Club, if you remember. Oh, yes. And I believe he was invited to come here by the Chamber of Commerce. And um, they had asked me if I would sit near him in case he needed some translations. Of course, he always brings staff with him. Uh, but it was very interesting because we found out that from Cincinnati, he was going to fly to um, Dallas. And I said, well, what are you going to do there? And he said, well, I just have to wait for a plane to take me to Germany. I said, why would you not fly from Cincinnati to Germany? Well, he said, you don't have any connections here. Well, of course, we had the head person from Delta, Dorsey Jones at the time at that event. And so I said, do you have to fly with Lufthansa or can you go with another airline? No, he said, I can fly whatever. I said, well, um, if you don't mind, give me your airline ticket and I'm going to go talk to Dorsey Jones. And they then changed his ticket to first class and to a connection that came, that went from Cincinnati to Frankfurt where he had to go. And the, I think 24 hours later, he had to go to pick up some hostages, but I don't even remember which country was holding hostages. But I was a little perturbed that someone of his stature wouldn't have staff that saw to it that his time was put to the best use. Mm-hmm. He was most grateful. It was a lot of fun to work with him. Sure. Uh, Uta, you've also taken responsibility for bringing the Hofbrau House to, uh, to Cincinnati. Tell us a little bit more about how that happened. Oh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we don't, um, as sister cities, we don't compete with the chambers. Uh, but, of course, we have contacts at times that the chamber doesn't have. And at that time, I believe I was under contract with the city of Cincinnati to bring in companies. And someone from the city hall in Munich made me aware of the fact that Hofboy was very interested, seriously interested in entering the American market. And so I had some conversations with them as to how they saw that. And at that time, they would have liked to have built right next to the Bengal Stadium. Mm-hmm. But that didn't quite work out. But it, it was a lot of fun to work with them, and I still visit with them when we go over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, plus, uh, here, the local uh, Hofbräu, if you go in there, it has a sign that says Stammtisch Pepke. I don't understand what that means. Yeah, well, uh, Stammtisch means a table for the people who come regularly. Mm-hmm. And um, just as a fun aside, my husband feels that it's his job to test the beer every couple of weeks. And he feels as a good Rotarian, mm-hmm. he helps them drink beer so that they don't feel too bad, see. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So you've got your own private table yes. at, at the <laughs> house. Yes. And the uh, maypole that's in front of the Hofboy um, house, it's a replica of maypoles that you see in all the German cities when you walk in, when you drive into the city. Mm-hmm. It'll say a city established in such and such a year, and then you see this huge pole, and it has all kinds of pictures on it. And it usually depicts all the uh, various trades in that particular area. And so here, Hofboy wanted to replicate that, but couldn't find a pole. 
And um, I had offered to help with it because Hans was working at Synergy at the time, mm-hmm. and they had a few poles. Yes, steel poles. Yes. And so, um, anyway, but uh, some of the staff from Hofboy thought that they could uh, do that better. So I got a call when we were in Florida from Eric Haas. Where is my pole? And I said, well, your staff said that they wanted to do that. Well, then we found out by calling the right people at the right time, they could get a pole. Okay, so they got a pole from yes. Duke Energy. Yes. Huh, that's good. I mean, they, as a rule, they don't do that because you have too many issues with the preservatives that are, is being used on the pole. Oh, it's made out of wood? Yes. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And is it painted with pictures? No, what happens is they put uh, some kind of steel casing around this wooden pole, Mm -hmm. and then you have almost like shelves to either side on which you can post these pictures of different plates, whether it's carpenters, welders, or restaurant owners, you name it. Brewmasters. Yeah, it looks nice. You have to look at it once. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I've been to to, uh, Hopper House many times, but I've never spent a lot of time examining the pole in front of the building. <laughs> I guess well, some of our listeners it's, uh, it's part of the Bavarian uh, culture, which sure. is kind of fun to uh, learn about a little bit. Sure. Uh, again, we've disagreed to take questions. If you have a question, you can call in on 646-595-4916, and we're going to listen to uh, a couple of minutes of commercials. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced stainless sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is a message for professional salespeople. It's an unusual message. I'm going to tell you that our product is expensive and difficult. It takes effort to use, and it's not for everyone. We provide difficult but effective sales training. It's the kind of training familiar to champion athletes. It builds winners in the world of business. We don't promise quick fixes or color brochures, only hard work, that will teach you how to sell effectively even when your price is higher. If you're tired of hearing, I want to think it over. If you're finally ready to invest in yourself and your sales career and learn how to close more business faster, call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523, and we'll invite you to our next Lunch and Learn Sales Discovery Workshop, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with... To Popke, and uh, I thought in this segment we'd start off by talking about uh, the segment of the 
Berlin Wall that you brought over mm-hmm. uh, to be placed in front of the entrance at the Freedom Center. Freedom Center, mm-hmm. yes. Tell us, tell, tell our listeners that story. Well, actually, uh, the former honorary counsel for Germany, um, Dr. Richard Schader, who teaches at UC, he called me one day and he said, Ute, can we have lunch together? Um, I have an idea I'd like to run past you. And so we went to the art museum and I brought our youngest grandson, who was probably around four at that time. And Richard proceeded to ask what I thought about bringing a piece of the Berlin Wall. By a piece, he meant an actual section. They weigh 6,111 pounds. And he wanted to know, how are we going to finance this? I said, well, that type of thing you don't have to finance. Uh, What we should do is you as an honorary counsel have a really impressive stamp, wonderful letterhead. So you write a letter to the mayor in Berlin and suggest that it would be marvelous if he would give us one section and make it into an official present from one city to another. And then we should also ask the current mayor, and I believe that was Mallory at the time, and then we decided um, since um, several of us know or knew Jean Schmidt very well that perhaps she would be game. So one of my Rotary friends, Yingling, uh, invited her and Richard and myself to the Queen City Club so that we would have a properly impressive environment uh, to impress our Congress lady. And everyone agreed that they would all write a terrific letter, and I asked for copies of it so that I knew it would be done. And sure enough, the um, mayor, Mr. Wolverine, wrote back that he would be delighted to do that. And we told him we would like to invite him uh, to come for the installation. And then uh, we decided... um, So this is a real piece of the Berlin Wall a piece of the cement block mm-hmm. that weighs over six tons. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's big. And it is an actual section. Uh, Richard um, takes um, students every year to Berlin because he teaches at the German department at UC. And, um, well, I suggested that we would go to a German company who brings over inventory anyway and see if they would be inclined to allow us to put that piece in one of their trailers. At that time, I was also chair for the World Community Service. And if you remember, we knew how to pack 53-foot trailers. And so, yeah, the, the first a German company we went to, ThyssenKrupp and Wilstein in Hamilton, mm-hmm. they make shock absorbers. Sure. And uh, Fabian Schmal, uh, the CEO, lived near the border, hated it, mm. and was absolutely on board to help bring this thing over. And then, but he said we would have to talk to Kühn and Nagel, their freight forwarding company. So we went and talked to them and I can still see myself sitting in the conference room. They had all kinds of big photos of things that they had shipped. So when the um, contact there asked me, well, what are we gonna get out of this? Well, I said, I think another picture that says we shipped the wall. I also knew that we had 50-some pieces here in the States, so it wasn't quite 
as novel as some people might think. But here in Cincinnati, we still have a fairly large um, German community, and almost everybody thinks that they are German, even though the Irish were also a very important uh, component of the people who started this community. Plus, nowadays we have over 100 different nationalities represented, so we're quite a melting pot. And then we did, um, well, so Kühn and Nagel agreed. They even took pictures of when they put it in the trailer. And uh, then it sat in the parking lot of uh, ThyssenKrupp and Bielstein for probably two years because we had to do some research on where to put it. A big so, piece like that. How many, how many feet long was it? Or is it? Um, I, I'm inclined to think it's about four feet wide, but you have to go see it. It's really worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing for which we had to raise money was the park into which it was going to be put, which was $250,000. But again, Fabian Schmal called his vendors who called their vendors, etc. Then we got a landscaping company whose there was the sponsor who uh, bought, a, bought the item on a flat that truck here. Yeah, it was there. Yeah, when it was ready to be installed, it was quite a production. And then in 2010, I think we had a big installation party um, where about 400 some people came. And I think we only charged maybe $50. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. I'm afraid I do too many fundraisers, so mm -hmm. I have to. I would have to look that up. But we had, it was interdenominational. We had Rabbi Ingvar there. We had a Catholic priest from Xavier Church. We had uh, an imam mm -hmm. uh, to um, give us some thoughts on how we could all collaborate. So uh, maybe we should think about that more often uh, before people get angry with each other. Right. And that, that piece of the German wall is sitting in front of the Freedom Center. Yes. And we had a large, um, thick piece of acrylic put in front of the section that has the um, the graffiti on it because the eastern side is painted stark white because that way the soldiers could see anyone at any time and shoot them, which is what they did regularly. Mm -hmm. All of people lost their lives trying to escape that way. And the wall was not to protect people, it was to keep people in. Mm -hmm. So, um, and Hans, my husband, fled in 1946 with his mom when he was nine years old, took them three weeks. So we, we understand what that can be like. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one reason I was gung-ho in, in, in doing this. And we recently had a big party again at the Freedom Center when it was 25 years since the fall of the war. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really worthwhile, so go have a look. Take, um, see it, and there are markers upstairs. That the whole history is in the Freedom Center, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. it, we felt the Freedom Center was the proper location because it deals with slavery, and there are many types of slavery. And so, if we uh, take time to um, negotiate with each other, then um, we can make a positive out of a negative. Oh, that, that, that's really good. And uh, you said there were 50 segments of the uh, old building? 50 or 52. I also got to meet Winston Churchill's granddaughter when we were doing research on wow. that. Because we have a piano competition here. 
And one of the winners uh, was staying with friends of ours, Bob and Kathy Stevie. And um, when uh, he won the gold medal, he said he'd like to call his sponsor in New York, who happened to be Adina Sanders, who is um, Churchill's granddaughter. Wow. And she did um, sculpture out of seven or eight pieces in Kansas City. And so if you go online and look under Berlin Wall, you'll see all the segments that are in the States. But none of them are as interesting as ours. Probably none of them are any Freedom Center environment. Right, right. That's an, an excellent environment. I remember when uh, you were attempting to find a place to put it. Yeah, we went around town. We had numerous offers, including from the Museum Center, but we wanted something where people could actually stop. And we have really interesting boulders for the major sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful garden. It's unbelievably little maintenance. Um, so uh, the uh, landscaping people, I wish I could remember all of them. I know Kelly Kohler did all the brochures, the invitations, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, in order to give credit to anyone and everyone, I'd have to look at the list again. So I apologize that I don't recall all of them because it was amazing. We couldn't have done it without all of them. Uh Again, uh, Uta has agreed to take questions from the, our audience. If you want to call in, the number is 646-595-4916. I think we have time for one more question in this segment, Uta. Uh, so you graduated from college in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what sent you into the translation business? Well, coming from Europe and then living in the States, I realized how few people here know several languages. Mm-hmm. Although I always say if you can understand everyone in Kentucky or Tennessee, you do speak another language. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoy um, speaking different languages. I also think it's not just the language, it's the whole culture. You get to know about the history. Uh, for example, when Hansen, I went to Mexico the first time, to Tulum and so forth. I knew all the history of Chichen Itza, of Tulum, but I had never seen any of it. First time we went to Paris, I knew all the buildings, uh, all the important buildings like Sacre Coeur or Arc de Triomphe or Place de la Concorde, but I hadn't been there. So uh, German was the native language of your family. Yes. Uh, Tell our listeners how you learned French and Spanish. Well, you know, if Indiana and Kentucky would all speak a different language, we would all know at least three languages. And you know how small some of the countries are in Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, French, uh, that wasn't very far away from us. I lived, I think the last town that I lived in was Krefeld, and within an hour you were in the Netherlands, or in a couple of hours you were in France. Uh, so that was a natural. And then I like to travel. When I went back to Europe for a year after I graduated from Kalamazoo, um, I worked as a travel guide. I uh, interviewed for a number of other um, jobs, but most of the translation jobs can be very boring. Sit in a room. Yeah, sit in a room and, and just translate all these Give things. Give a pile of paper in the morning. Yeah, and so it. I thought, no, nah, I don't think so. Plus, they didn't pay much. This, this was 62. And so uh, by working for a touring company, I got to see a lot. And I enjoyed that, yes. And that's where I met my husband, see. 
you met your husband in Europe? Yes. Yeah, his best friend uh, invited me one evening to come to their house. You have to consider in the 60s, not everyone had TVs, mm-hmm. and the Pepkas did. And so his friend Tucker said, why don't we go over there? There's a special movie on tonight. And I said, okay. And that's how you met. That's how we met, yep. And then the three of us went out together for about three weeks until Tucker figured out three is not a good number. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm not going to go any further with that line of questions. Uh, we're going to uh, listen to a, uh, a San LaRue here. We're going to listen to San LaRue number 34. Hello, I'm Jerry Weinberg, Sandler Training, and I'm here today to talk about Sandler Rule number 34, which says work smart and not hard. So one of the things we need to do when we're involved in in going after a a prospect is to learn how to qualify and disqualify early on. Uh, It's been my experience, you know, having done this for many, many years, as we coach our clients, as, as we train them, that they seem to spend, many of them, an incredible amount of time chasing, following up business they're never going to get. And for goodness sakes, if you're going to follow, you know, finish second, why do you even want to bother being in there? We don't get paid on experience. And frequently what happens is uh, we, we have a prospect maybe who's on our top ten list, let's say, and we want so badly to meet them, and we finally get an appointment with Mr. or Ms. Big, and, and uh, we're brought in there, and uh, next thing you know, we're doing a proposal to a totally unqualified situation. And uh, maybe it's a much larger piece of business than we normally would be working with. And we wind up in Think It Overland. And next thing you know, we're following up and we're, we're making phone calls and, and we're sending emails and nothing's happening. I'll tell you what is happening is we're not prospecting because we're spending too much time with prospects we're never going to do business with. In fact, I'd like you to write that question down and kind of track it over the next several days. How much time? do I spend following up chasing business I'm never going to get and how do I suffer with that? One of the ways that you can work around that is instead of going after a a large chunk of dollars, start with a smaller piece. We call it a monkey's paw. Get some dollars maybe for an assessment, maybe for a pilot program. You'll also keep your competition out of the picture. You'll at least feel like you're making some progress and then you can make it work better. So, again, Jerry Weinberg, Sandler Rule number 34, work smart, not hard. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with with Popke. Uh, In this segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Munich Sister City Association uh, of Greater Cincinnati. The, why don't you tell our listeners about some of the programs that Sister City Association uh, brings to brings to the table? Well, for example, um, the reason why I uh, got involved, I like to be a fundraiser. And why? Um, oh, what do we need the money for? Uh, we do student exchanges, teacher exchanges, even professionals. The Hamilton County Board of Education 
now uh, sends six teachers every year to Munich and six teachers come here. And they're teamed up with someone who does what they do. Uh, for example, we are now doing dual education systems. There's a new company here called Festo. Uh, they have training tables, but if you need to know more about them, you'll have to call them. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that gets started through sister cities, where you basically make contacts. We also have an internship program where the city of Munich sends us an average of six young people, and they continue to be paid by the city of Munich even though they're here for three months, and many of them work at City Hall, they basically tell us where they would like to work because they also have to send back reports. We also have an active sheriff's exchange. I ran into Sheriff Jim Neal yesterday. They want to send over three of their officers a week before the Oktoberfest and then a week during because Munich, believe it or not, has one million guests every single day during the Oktoberfest. How many do we have here? Uh, we have on one weekend 500,000. It's a little different. They might have a bigger space. Um, well, not only that, I was on the board of the local Oktoberfest for 20 years. Here, because we don't have the utilities underground, many of the staff run around with water hoses, electric lines, etc., and you have to have people install it all the time. Uh, whereas they have a large area that has all the utilities underground and the, the same tent gets put in the same spot every single year. They also have permanent facilities for the police, for the doctors, for the fire department, and um, if there's anything going on in any spot of the Oktoberfest, mind you, some of the tents can hold an average of 10,000 people each. So if there's anything going on, it shows up on a big screen in the police department, the fire department, and or the medical school. It's unbelievably well organized. I've taken some behind the scenes too, and I invite anybody to come again. Uh, for example, they can um, cook or fry an entire bull in those tents, and they have water basins around any open fire so that even if um, flame were to leak to the ground, it doesn't go anywhere. And they pride themselves on the fact that they have never, ever had a fire, and it was started, the Oktoberfest started with a wedding in 1810. Hmm. It was only interrupted by some of the wars, and sometimes if they had a horrendous disease going around. But otherwise, um, yeah, it, it's pretty impressive. And if you go sometime, let me know because we can get um, we can reserve a seat or two or a table, but it has to be done ahead of your trip. Okay. Well, before I go, I'll make sure that uh, I, I let you know so we Good. we yes. can get a table. Yeah. Like Very table. popular. Yeah. <laughs> Very popular event. Yeah. How how much time should one allocate to visiting the Oktoberfest in Munich? Well, you might want to go a couple times because the first time you go, it's kind of overwhelming to see that many people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, um, I think I like to go during the day once just to get a feel for the place. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of wonderful traditions. I mean, even the opening is nice. One year I took Channel 19 with me mm -hmm. and we filmed all that. And when you um, 
see all these people come in. For example, all the breweries have incredibly decorated horses, teams of horses that pull wagons, that have some of the barrels on there. And of course, they have bigger metal containers these days too, um, so that they can satisfy all the customers in a given tent. Uh, plus, they don't ever have any plastic. It's all China. It's all silverware. The only paper is a napkin. So, so when they serve you a a beer, you're not getting it in a plastic cup? No. You get it in a beer stein? Yes. And they have dishwashers all over in those tents. It's absolutely remarkable. Definitely worth a trip to see that. Hmm. Uh, because they don't want any garbage. And they have um, increased the prices for the garbage all over town to such a degree that people recycle and recycle and recycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what kind of foods do they serve there? Are, are... Anything you can think of. From uh, And one thing that they figured out, they never just sit there and drink, but they all have all kinds of food that you can serve. The, the, most of the tables even have tablecloths. Uh, the VIP sections are particularly nice, um, and uh, the way you would go there is if you help bring a whole White House to the States, or if uh, the brewery um, owners know you and want to entertain you, or the city council people are constantly uh, being invited to these things, uh, but yeah, there is an unbelievably broad spectrum of menus and different um Tents cater to different things. There's a wine tent. I think there are two tents that are open until like two in the morning. Everybody else shuts down at 11. Mm-hmm. So is it actually in the city of Munich or is it in a suburb? No, it's part of the city. And actually none of the breweries who are outside city limit are allowed to participate, including His Royal Highness Louis Pohl's von Bayern, who produces Kurnisch Ludwig beer. You may have seen it because it's being distributed here locally by Warsteiner. Mm, okay. I've seen Warsteiner beer. Yeah, well, when His Royal Highness comes, um, I usually get a call to make all the apartments for him, which is really fun. And we've been to his castle in um, Kaltenberg near uh, Munich. Um, and that castle looks a little bit like a fortress that was the original one, but the family owned Neuschwanstein, Linderhof, all those places. Hmm. So if he, like he does a jousting tournament the end of June and the end of July, where they feed 10,000 people a day, and he can ask for any decorations from any of the castles, so it looks awesome. It sounds very authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It really is. Uh, I, I noticed that the uh, Sister City Exchange exchanges medical students. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, well, we typically have between four and eight come here, and they like to come to the States because they feel they get more of a connection with the patients. They don't have quite uh, the same system in Germany, so you have a, a doctor who is the head of the hospital, and he is like the king. He makes all the decisions very few women in that profession. Uh, but um, when the students come here, Dr. Kathy Stevie, who is one of our members, she sets that up, and they've all been very happy. It's usually between two and three months. Mm-hmm. And so then we find a place for them to stay, and um, we also have an apartment here, which is sponsored by Dr. Kathy Stevie and her husband. 
Uh, we have tried putting them with families, but they tend to work such long hours that it is better if they're in an apartment where they can occasionally just be by themselves. Shut down, right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, recently, you've been a, involved with a uh, campaign for uh, mayors to sign a letter yes. about anti-Semitism. Yes. Could you explain to our audience what that's all about? Yes. Um, the honorary German counsel here is Martin Wilhelmi, whom we both know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made me aware of the fact that they were trying that the AJC, the American Jewish Community, or American or Jewish Committee, committee um, that they were trying to get as many mayors as they can, not only from here, but Europe and all over the world, to sign a peaceful agreement that they are going to do something uh, to prevent anti-Semitism. And the only reason that that came about is because anti-Semitism has existed for centuries, um, not just in Germany, but all over. And unfortunately, there's an increase of that being recognized lately. And so if you can get the mayors to agree uh, to pay attention to this, for example, in Germany, and I know Austria and Belgium, because there were other honorary councils at this meeting the other night, they all have laws on their books uh, that um, you cannot show swastikas, um, that you cannot show other uh, Nazi symbols, and you also cannot entice people uh, against each other. Um, and that, uh, the other thing is that it's being taught in all the schools about Holocaust uh, to deny that it ever happened is also a crime. So I, I think we're we're going places with that, and Good. I was very very impressed on how many many people they've been able to sign up. Right, we haven't we we ran out of text uh, in the text box that describes the show to talk about that, but we put a picture uh, along the show that I hope some of our listeners have seen of some of the mayors, including uh, Cranley, mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, there was one from Blue Ash. There were several other communities. I think Sharonville was represented. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these are the mayors that have actually signed it. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell, tell our listeners how you got the mayor of Munich to sign it. Well, um, Martin uh, sent me an email, and he said uh, that Nongsi, which is another sister city of ours, had already signed. Um, would I um, see if the Munich... Uh, mayor signed. And so I thought, okay. I sent an email, waited a couple of days, nothing happened. I thought, well, I'm going to call them. And the favorite time to call is 4 a.m. our time, which is 10 a.m. their time. Every good salesperson. And I, I lucked out. I got his office and they said, wait a minute, they would ask. And so they came back and they said, absolutely, we're on board. And so when I was invited to this event at the Mayerson Center, I didn't realize it was such a big deal. They'd been trying to get him to sign for quite some time and didn't get any responses. Mm. And you got the, the man to sign? Well, I made it sound like it was very normal. Everybody in the world had already signed. We're just waiting for him. And he jumped on board. That's right. right. And they do have a very large, active Jewish community and a wonderful synagogue downtown. Uh, that is well worth visiting. 
I don't know if you know, I also took 25 students from UC for many years to Munich for a week. Mm -hmm. Good. Again, mm -hmm. if uh, you have questions about anything we've talked about, uh, you can uh, call in on 646-595-4916, and we're going to uh, listen to a couple of uh, spots about sandwich training. This is a message for professional salespeople. It's an unusual message. I'm going to tell you that our product is expensive and difficult. It takes effort to use, and it's not for everyone. We provide difficult but effective sales training. It's the kind of training familiar to champion athletes. It builds winners in the world of business. We don't promise quick fixes or color brochures, only hard work that will teach you how to sell effectively even when your price is higher. If you're tired of hearing, I want to think it over. If you're finally ready to invest in yourself and your sales career and learn how to close more business faster, call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523, and we'll invite you to our next Lunch and Learn Sales Discovery Workshop on February 5th at either 8 a.m. or 1 p.m., 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is, their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Buddha Popke, uh, current president of the Sister City Association with Munich and Cincinnati. Uh, and she's been a leader of uh, several organizations, the Rotary Club of Cincinnati with 300 members, the uh, Rotary District uh, 6670 here with, what, uh, 17 or 18 clubs? 52. 52. And they have over 3,000 members. Mm. So, so, and you have to, uh, as a district governor, you have to visit all of them several times. I think we averaged four visits, plus they invite you to all kinds of things. Uh, but, yeah, I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed being president of our club. I also enjoyed running my own company. Um, and it's kind of interesting because you have to figure out what focus you want to pursue. So would you call yourself a natural-born leader or someone who learned how to lead? No, I think I'm a natural-born leader. Somebody once told me if you're not a leader... The uh, view never changes, <laughs> <laughs> and I like to see where I'm going. Oh, that's good. Perhaps you could give our listeners a leadership tip, something that you've learned from your experience in these various organizations. Well, I think you have to do something that you enjoy doing. I can tell you enjoy training people, and that's the key. If you have a job that you really dislike, not very good because there always stays when it becomes a little bit challenging. 
And so if you basically enjoy what you're doing, you're going to make it a success. Good, good. And uh, I also like that we have a theory of operation here at Sandler Training by Roth and by strategic sales experts, our new company name for the last uh, month or so, mm -hmm. uh, that simple solutions to complex problems are mm -hmm. invariably wrong. So if you stumble into a complex problem, you, you will usually need, invariably need, a complex solution that's equal to the challenge. Perhaps you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you've run into in your career and the equally complex solution that you used from a theory of op or operation perspective that someone might be able to pick up and use in their world? Well, I think sometimes we realize that we don't know everything. And we need to get experts in the field to make sure that it's a success. Otherwise, it becomes like working in a labyrinth or in a maze. And so it's very, very important at the start of a project to figure out how to go about doing it. I don't care if it's fundraising or if it's selling a product, you figure out who your market is and how you can best approach it. Come up with the experts that you need. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that those are the resources necessary to lead effectively. And of course, to lead, you also have to be able to delegate. If you think you can only do all this yourself, you've got another problem. Yes. I've seen several leaders fail because they, they fail to delegate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's something else coming up here in Cincinnati uh, next month uh, called the Bachfest 2016, a renaissance celebration of Bach beer. Well, we've got to stop there because not everyone knows what Bach beer is. Well, actually, during the Middle Ages, when they had a fasting time, uh, the priests were allowed to make a beer that was stronger, which was a Bach beer. And um, if you study history, the men were allowed much more beer, the, the monks were allowed more beer than the nuns, but everybody was drinking some of that. And in Europe, they don't drink much water because many times the water was contaminated. And because the uh, monks, would make the beer, they would also make the wine. Um, people knew that that was not contaminated, that that was healthy. So so when you say Bach beer, does that mean it has a higher alcoholic content in yes. American terms? Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, they also, Bach also means a goat. And so many times they will have a goat in one of the parades here. But if you have time to go to that, it's a lot of fun. It's over the line. They've been doing it for quite a few years. I'm inclined to think possibly 20 years. And they give out prizes for interesting outfits, and you get to see some of the boys, uh, like Christian Morland, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. so, Is that something you do on a regular basis? I'm not usually here anymore. I did go for many years, uh, but... Um, Usually in March, we try to get some sunshine. Oh, okay. You find the uh, the German or French section of Florida. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I understand completely, especially this winter. Oh, yeah. Uh, in uh, 
increase participation in the groups that you were leading? Well, um, you have to come up with ideas. I don't care if it's your company. You have to figure out which job would possibly suit which person. And then you, you also have to talk to them and find out if that's really what they like to do. Uh, some people like to volunteer for different things. Some don't. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I can imagine that in your company you figure out who the best trainers are and who the best support personnel is. And that holds true for almost every organization. Because you know on some of them you can rely. They, they are good workers. They focus. They know how to get a job done. And some other people are procrastinators. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, what was your favorite organization that you've worked with? Hmm. That's a tough one. I think I enjoyed all of them. Uh, but uh, Rotary, I would have not been able to join in Germany because it's almost exclusively men. But I did help uh, start a club in Munich that has both men and women in it and younger people. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very prestigious in a lot of countries, including Germany. Well, it, it, it used to be all men in, in America until Rotary the 80s, lost, yeah. <laughs> lost their Supreme Court case. <laughs> that, uh, but, I mean, uh, Rotary or sister cities, they have a lot in common because all of them try to be peacemakers. All of them try to be all-inclusive. Uh, so there are a lot of common denominators. Um, yeah, I mean, I helped out wherever our kids were with PTA or at the universities. Three of the daughters uh, all um, graduated from college, two from UC, one from the mouth. Um, so, yeah, what, whatever was going on. And then um, when the kids were little, I did a lot of translations at home because you could do that. Mm -hmm. At a time when you still had a typewriter and two carbon copies. Oh, yes, the carbon paper. Yeah, I can remember when the first company, R.A. Jones, asked me to do it with a computer. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do that. But they gave me someone four months and the computer, and, of course, you don't go back to a typewriter after that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've done some really interesting um, translations, like whole machine installations. That were How did you get involved with the television show that I saw? Television show, which was it was a movie that we that you did the translation for on uh, I think it was CET. It might have been a promotion for something that I was working on. Um, I've been interviewed quite a few times. Um, one time was with um, Kellogg's wife. I can't think of her name right now. Uh, but it was to promote the event that we had in honor of the Berlin Wall. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that um, we had both worked on Friday Nighters with the symphony and all kinds of stuff. So I think one reason I don't normally have problems finding people is because I've worked on so many different organizations. And people know we have a good time. And so, you know, the rest takes care of itself. So this will be the last question for the show. Uh, uh, you grew up... Uh, uh, first nine years in Germany. Fourteen. Fourteen years in Germany. And uh, your husband came out of Germany when he was how old? Out of East Germany. He ca he no, came no. at nine. But uh, he was 26 when he... See, when I went to Germany in 62, I had decided to go for one year, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to live here or there. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Um, 
he came with me then in 1963. We waited until he was 26 because then you couldn't be drafted anymore. So why did you choose to live in Cincinnati? My parents, my parents happened to move here. I was really hoping to go back to Chicago. Uh, but during that year when I was in Germany, my dad took a job here um, and with buck equipment because he was a civil engineer. And, um, well, the rest is history. I do think we had a very nice start here. Uh, my parents were able to find a job for my husband. Somehow they found out that um, Synergy or CG&E was looking for someone who could do displays. And, of course, Hans has done that train that's now in the museum for 46 years at least, or even 49. Right. Um, so that became a big project, but he did any displays that they needed, any visual aids. I mean, nowadays you do a lot on a computer or on screens, but that wasn't always the case. Right, right. We, we could have him in here and talk about art because I, I visited your house yeah. home and the amount of artwork is just breathtaking almost as a museum. Yeah, that's what some people say. But, you know, we had water damage this year, but because we have Rotarians who are insurance people, who are restoration people, etc., that took was taken care of very well. Well, that's a, that's a plug for the Rotary Club. If, if anyone wants to find more, out more about Rotary, yeah. meet us any Thursday at lunchtime, 12, yes. 12 o'clock at the Hall of Mirrors. And we're the eminent business club in the area. Right. We have over 300 members. Yes. Uh, Mutai, do you have any last uh, comments before we uh, close out the show? No, I want to thank you. This mm -hmm. has been a, a very uh, interesting experience. I've never quite been in a studio exactly like this, although I've been in other radio studios, but this was great. I... Okay. Uh, again, thanks for joining us here today. And... Uh, Tune in again and check our website to find out what our next show is going to be. Uh, Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513 753 9400.